You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined. I'm your host, Arya Cohen-Wade. My guest probably needs no introduction for most of uh, the viewing audience, Uh, but uh, for our podcast listeners and anyone else, uh, my guest today is Dan Kaufman. Dan, can you introduce yourself? I am Daniel Kaufman. I'm a professor of philosophy at Missouri State University. I also host the show Sophia that's on meaningoflife.tv. And um, I'm, uh, I've done a few dialogues with Arya now about popular culture, Star Wars 1, and also some on comic comics. And uh, I'm very happy to be on again. I have to say I've been, I've been kind of hoping you'd ask me on again, Arya, because I'm watching you do all these pop culture uh, dialogues and I'm feeling a little jealous. And so, uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so our, our game plan today is we're gonna, we have two topic areas. Um, one is pop culture and that is returning to Star Wars. I'm actually, I'm wearing my, um, my, everything is a remix or oh, remix sweet. everything cool. shirt, which was a Kickstarter reward for the, um, Kirby Ferguson project. Um, he, uh, everything's a remix. He talks a lot about the Star Wars movies as being like creative remixes of other movies. Um, and I think it, uh, this shirt is actually appropriate because the movies we're going to talk about are like remixes of the original Star Wars movies. Yeah. Um, uh, but the first, ways, yeah. in the first thing we're going to talk about, uh, came from a discussion in the comment threads, um, to a recent, uh, Meaning of Life TV episode I did about, um, the trend of being a homebody. Uh, among millennials, and we'll link to that episode. Uh, in short, uh, there's a growing economy around like keeping, like letting people stay inside and stay at home instead of going out uh, to keep them fed and entertained and um, you know occupied uh, in ways that they couldn't have been like 20 years ago. So uh, you know, uh, streaming services like Netflix and Hulu, uh, apps uh, where you can order food and Someone will bring it to you where you don't have to actually talk to a human on the phone and other, you know, things like, uh, skincare routines, which is more something that women, women would do. Um, and all these are like growing industries catering to young people who seem to want to stay inside instead of, instead of going right. out to a bar or restaurant or something or see a movie in a theater. Um, and yeah, and then you, you commented that I think what you said was like, you know, you wish there, there had been as much attention paid to Generation X. In the like cultural analysis, <laughs> and, I, I, I don't actually I don't actually remember exactly the context in which it came up. Um, um, uh, I'd have to go back and look, but um, yeah, I mean the sort of idea that sort of Generation X disappeared between the baby boomers and the millennials in the sense of cultural impact, and also um, even in the sense of um, you know just sort of. Cultural, uh, cultural dominance, culture. I mean, I, I, it feels like we went through a very long period where popular culture was basically dominated by baby boomer ideas, tropes, concepts, values, etc. And it seems like we're sort of seamlessly shifting to to uh, millennial ones without there having been the sort of it's like, well, wait a minute, we, we're sort of we're in the middle. <laughs> um, and I actually read somewhere um, that. Um, the baby boomers are going to be the the extras are going to be the generations that the gener, one generation that doesn't get a president, um, which is also kind of interesting. Unless it depends on how, whether you count Barack Obama yeah, as an extra or not, which has to do with the where the line is drawn because um, he was born in 1961 
And um, I guess I think that's sort of a borderline. My wife was born in 1961, and she has much more of a baby boomer mentality than I do. As a matter of fact, it's one of the main sources of tension in our marriage is that she cannot stand the things about me are the, that are the most Gen X. And it's because she's uh, very much a baby boomer in her mindset. So, yeah, I, th- I don't remember the context in which it came up. But, yeah, I was sort of lamenting the fact that my generation's kind of disappeared. Yeah. So the question. Yeah. So what we want to discuss, like, compare the generations. Why? Why did we have this skip from boomers to millennials? What you know, with their generation X? Um, I, I guess Obama. I thought he was Gen X, and like the very like extreme older end of Gen X. Um, but maybe I mean, you know, these these um, dates are invented by like demographers and journalists. So you know, right. uh, it's you can't say anything is definitive, but. It seems like um, it seems like his politics was in a lot of ways anti-boomer politics, and um, how could you say how, how so? In what sense? Um, he wanted to close the book on the like national division over the Vietnam War, um, and in some way a lot of the Cold War as well. You know, he went to Cuba. Um, he, he you know he ran against a boomer icon um in the person of uh hillary clinton and then uh, another kind of boomer icon in the person of john mccain um and you know defeated them both and yeah it seemed like we were turning the page from obama obviously that was wrong um we have a baby boomer president once again um donald j trump is a baby boomer and it seems like he's probably gonna be the last boomer president i don't know uh when you're watching some of these hearings recently uh, the ability of these people to hang on and get reelected over and over again into their eighties, uh, is remarkable. Um, but I, you know, there's no one, there's no one older than Trump who's kind of like in the arena, like ready to, um, to challenge him. Well, I don't know. I mean, but in terms of the, the Democrats, um, I mean, I'm seeing talk about a lot of, a lot of people I'm seeing talk about are old. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, with Joe Biden, <laughs> Um, That's true. Uh, I think Biden uh, is older. Uh, Biden uh, is like Bernie year- Sanders. Yeah, I think, I think um, Biden is a year um, older. And um, you know, I mean, I don't see any evidence that the Democrats are. I mean, I hope that that's wrong, but um, that that they're going to go to their younger bench this next time around. I mean, I really think they should if they if they if they want to actually win. I think they really should go to the younger bench. But I'm not seeing clearly that they're going to. I mean, is do you think they're going to, Arya? Well, I think. Um... For you the know, presidential nomination, I yeah. Think. Okay, so I guess I I, I don't think Biden is going to run. I think he's his career is basically over. Um, I guess I wasn't thinking about Bernie. I think Bernie is seventy two or seventy three, so he would be older than Trump. Um, and yeah, he could. It's conceivable that he could win the nomination. I, I don't think it's super likely. I kind of don't think he's going to run again. I feel like he's at the you know end of his career as well. And then like you have. This crop of, you know, other people like Kamala Harris or Kamala Harris, um, Cory Booker, uh, Christine Gillibrand, who, uh, Amy Klobuchar, who are like in their forties, more or less. I think most, most of those people are in their forties. And so th- those are, those are Gen X. Yeah. Um, Gen X politicians. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know. I actually don't know how old Cory Booker is. Um, um, uh, but, um, 
Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. Um, um, don't count the baby boomers out yet, though. I mean, they're going to find a magic pill that'll allow them to, you know, <laughs> run for president when they're a hundred. Um, so um, it's funny though about Barack Obama. I mean, just what you were saying is, you know, all the things you said is absolutely right in terms of um, um, the sense in which he's breaking, broke, tried to break with the baby boomers. And actually, it was one of the things I really liked about him was that I was hoping that we were going to get beyond the very well entrenched partisan divide. Um, that that came out of that generation, you know, the sort of the the, the Nixon versus McGovern kind of uh, a dialectic. But in another sense, Barack Obama struck me as very much baby boomerish and not Gen Xy at all. And that is in his optimism, his uh, utopianism, uh, we might call it, or his idealism at least. Um, he certainly was one for great social causes. And, um, and, and uh, to me, one of the most defining elements of Gen X is a certain kind of, um, uh, worldwide, uh, uh, skepticism bordering on cynicism about institutions, no matter who's in charge of them. And, um, I, I, in that sense, Obama struck me as more of a throwback, um, uh, to the, the previous generation, which of course was defined by its idealism. And that's also what, in my mind, connects the boomers to the millennials is that sort of, you know, again, that sort of idealism, that that sort of the pursuit of causes, the especially, you know, sort of social justice, all this sort of stuff. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how I would characterize Obama. I, th- I guess I guess I think I would split him down the middle a little bit, you know. Yeah, I think he's um... you know, hope and change is not very Gen X. Right. That's true. So, I mean, he, he definitely had an idealistic side. Sorry if you can hear my dog barking. Um, he had an idealistic side, uh, but he also had a very, like, like cynical, like, all of the, we know that all these politicians are pieces of shit side, except for himself, of course. Um, but, like, you know, the, like, kind of seeing, like, not wanting to participate in the, like, Washington rituals that, like, People at the time were urging him to like going yeah. golfing with Mitch McConnell and stuff like that. Yeah. So he didn't yeah. do that kind of bullshitty stuff. Um, and, and then the, I mean, the other side, of course, is that, uh, he is a black man or a biracial man or both. And yeah. I think a lot of these, um, the way we split these generations up go according to th- thinking mainly about, um, white people and not people who aren't white and, and not even just white. I would say I would say it's largely suburban, right? I mean, um, um, certainly at least the way we've sort of divined the, la- the the last few generations, the from 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 the baby boom on, it seems to me in terms of the cultural determinants that we sort of mark these things, they're very much suburb- American white suburban uh, sort of sort of things. And I, I agree with you that if you look through different lenses, you might you might carve these things up a little bit differently. I mean, that's partly makes a sort of sense, right? Because the whole point of the generational uh, accounts is that it's supposed to be that, well, look, you know, there's a kind of a shared culture from people who are born and within a certain period of time, there's going to be a whole set of sort of cultural icons and tropes and other things that they, that they share that are familiar to them. But to the extent to which even within a single generation, different groups of people live in different countries, so to speak, right? Um, you know, the John, if you ask me, what are the, some of the most iconic representations of Gen X youth? I'd say the John Hughes movies, but of course that wouldn't be true if you said, no, 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 by Gen X youth, I mean black people living in, in the Bronx, 
1980, right? There's, there's nothing like the John Hughes movies. And so I think you're, right. you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right about that. Um, yeah. And, and I, I, it's, sort of, it's sort of unavoidable, though, in a country of this size and complexity, right? I mean. Yeah. And then Obama, you know, was born in Hawaii, was raised partially in Indonesia. So he had a different, a much different childhood experience than, you know, yeah. uh, anyone any like suburban white kid uh, on the mainland yeah. um okay so do you do, do you think there's a reason that um gen xers have been if, if we're, we're saying obama's an edge case is there a reason there hasn't been a gen x president like a reality bites president what if, what if you know you know I, it's it's not I, I don't know if i want to sort of focus just on the president with regard to this but i mean if the broad question you're asking is is there a reason why gen x has sort of been culturally passed by so to speak that we're sort of moving straight from the boomers to the millennials. I would say the answer, my answer is, is that um, the boomers and the millennials both don't like our attitude <laughs> and, and see us as a rebuke to them. Right. Um, um, that's why the boomers hate us. And um, I think the boomers had a tremendous effect on the acculturation of the millennials. And I think it's the reason why the millennials, basically we think both the boomers and the millennials are full of shit <laughs> and the boomers and the millennials think that we're a bunch of meanies, right? <laughs> and um, um, and in my view, um, you know, we, we, I'm sure we'll get into this, but I really think that the country could use a good dose of us, meaning my generation right now, um, because I really do think that we're getting um, we're going we're getting trapped in a kind of a set of ideologies and what I would call self delusions that I don't think are going to be good for us. I mean, I think we need a correction. Um, um, uh, idealism is all fine, but I don't know if I want 50 straight years of idealism, right? Um, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and so I, I think it would just be a good idea um, if, if the, the Gen X sort of cynicism got to flourish for a little while before we plunged into another idealistic period um full of causes and, and and the like but yeah i think that the reason basically is that the boomers and the millennials have decided that together they're going to box us out right because they don't want to hear what we have to say and what we have to say is a pox on both of you um um so that's my now is this some sort of conspiracy that was hatched together in a room somewhere no of course not but it sort of looks that way culturally right yeah it's I mean, well, here's a thought that just occurred to me, and you can tell me what you think. Um, who is the most prominent, cynical person in America today? I'd say it's Donald Trump. Um, in a certain way, yes. We've I, obviously I he's a, so we said he's a boomer already. Um, yeah. when, you know, when did Donald Trump really come of age? I think it was New York in the eighties. Um, yeah. You think he? You think he is Generation X, right? Is well, that yeah. Is it, is it possible culturally? to say he's? more Gen X than baby boomer. Like what are the baby boomer things that he evinces? Like, I guess he's self-centered and we can consider that a baby boomer trait. Um, and yeah, he might be the most self-centered human <laughs> ever to walk the earth. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just like, like from my perspective, Donald Trump doesn't believe in anything besides himself. Like anything he says, yeah. anything coming out of his mouth is cynical because he's just yeah. saying it to get a reaction. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I think we're in, you know, we're in an age where no one, like, right now, like, no one trusts the media, uh, you know, drain the swamp, but is the swamp ever really going to be but drained? But they do trust their own media, right? I mean, and the, here's the thing. I mean, look, if you were to say who's the most cynical person in America, and I was going to answer Brett Easton Ellis, right? Um, <laughs> which, to my mind, is sort of like, 
if you ask me sort of, you know, what is a Gen X, if you wanted to distill down the attitude of Gen X, I would say, you know, the dark side of it is Gen, is, is, is Brady and Ellis and, mm-hmm. and, the, and the light side of it is John Hughes, even though John Hughes was a boomer. Um, but his art is Gen X. Um, but see, the thing about Ellis, unlike someone like Trump is, Ellis doesn't believe his own bullshit either, right? Um, and, and, and it seems to me that, um, when you're, ta- when you're talking about this, this period now in which nobody trusts the media, nobody trusts the news, nobody trusts the institutions, um, they do trust their own. And I think that, that one of the things about the Gen Xers was, was that we really understood that, our own were also bullshit, right? I mean, in the sense that, in, in that sense, I thought we were really kind of, in some ways, apolitical. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and that's why I think that, um, um, and, and if you don't want to expand in this direction, please, uh, you don't have to, but I'm just going to leave it here. Um, I think that's why uh, someone like Brett Easton Ellis, uh, Joan Didion resonated with him so much. So the generation that birthed my generation were not, the greatest generation, but was the silent generation. And if you read Joan Didion, especially who takes, who to me is in many ways a paradigmatic voice of that generation. And she, and she somewhat takes on that melting herself. One of the things that she sort of is, is, is that she's most consistently sort of addressing is the self deluding narratives that we, that we constantly inhabit. And I think that if, if I was to distill down Gen X's attitude to sort of to one sort of valuable quality, it's the ability to not believe your own bullshit and to recognize that we all are very, very prone to descend into self-serving and self-deluding narratives and that as a result, there should always be a certain level of sort of humility in, term, in terms of, um, of, of just how strongly we're willing to assert something, push a position, demand something of someone, all that sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, um, um, and it's an interesting question why the generations have these qualities, why the silent generation has this quality and Gen X does, and then why the boomers have this, qual- this other quality. And I think part of it has to do with, you know, what you experienced while growing up and, and, and whether you sort of witnessed as a child things falling apart mm-hmm. or, whether, or whether you were involved in the things falling apart as more of an adult and thus were in some position to do something about it, right? So, so the, the, the silent generation were children watching the world fall apart. Um, the, the, the greatest generation were already adults. They had to deal, they, they had to deal with it. And, and, and similarly, um, with Gen X, I was a kid watching the institutions lose all their credibility. Watergate. The aftermath of the Vietnam War, the inflation and stagflation of the seventies, the Malays, the Malays culture, all that sort of stuff, um, and so and so I wasn't I wasn't an, I wasn't an adult or, or in a position to I just sort of watched it, um, and and I think if you were to ask me that that's part of the reason why um, you, you get this pairing between silent and Gen X and then boomers and millennials. Yeah, I, that's interesting. Um, I mean, yeah. So obviously the boomers grew up during a time of plenty and you know uh and we're and we're parented by people who had just won the most important victory that you arguably our civilization has ever been faced with right i mean the yeah. the, the defeat of fascism right um <laughs> and so they they really were raised with this idea of you know we can transform the world yeah and then um my generation were um so i was born in 83 um, we were, I mean, large, we were largely, like, millennials were largely raised in the late 80s through the 90s through 
you know, 2000, 2001, um, which was also a great time of material plenty to, you know, the beginning of the internet boom and, um, yeah. the Clinton presidency and, uh, the, you know, the fall of the Berlin wall was, you know, the first sig- signal event of, of yeah. my life. And then, um, I mean, this is maybe the sounds crash, but crass, but you said watching things falling apart. Well, my generation, our childhood is we watched the world trade center fall apart. Um, yeah. so we, so it, there was this, you know, we had an idyllic uh, political childhood, really, when you look back on it, although there was all sorts of nonsense surrounding, um, you know, Bill Clinton and his sex life. Yeah, but not that would have filtered that way. I mean, Bill Clinton's presidency was tremendously successful. I think it's crazy to suggest otherwise. Um, um, yeah, politi- I mean, the, 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 politically, politically. The, yeah, um, there was no like, you know, there was no um, threat to, you know, we didn't have like nuclear drills. There was no like, we didn't feel like there was a threat and things had to like kind of like violent video games and gangster rap had to like come up to be like the threats to threat our childhood. Um, yeah, you always then, know that there's nothing really wrong when people are obsessing about stuff like that, right? <laughs> yeah, when they move on to <laughs> when they move on to culture, it's like yeah, we're doing okay. But then okay, so then um, uh, 9/11 is the, the second signal political event of my life, and I was um, 18 when when that happened. I just uh, started um, started college. And then, um, you know, it's been like a shit show ever since then. <laughs> and, um, you know, the, the, I guess the third single political event was, uh, the, the Great Recession. And then you could say like the election of Obama was the fourth. Um, so yeah, so most of them have it. So some positives, some negatives. Um, but you were already older. So, so when the shit show started, you know, I was six during Watergate. It would have been a lot different if I'd been 18 during Watergate, I think, in terms of my attitude, in terms mm-hmm. of sort of the way it affected my consciousness. And I would say the same thing about you. I mean, my daughter was born in 2002. And so she grew up as a child in this world of terrorism and and uh, economic collapse and all this sort of stuff. Um, you know, I'm not sure if the logic I described is going to continue on inevitably, right? I mean, in other words, that logic – May only be true for a, a, a circumscribed period of American history, and it just may, it just things may change in such a way that it's it's not true anymore. And so I don't know about what's going to happen. I mean, I was kind of expecting that my daughter's generation was going to be more like mine and less like yours, but it's not looking that way. Um, um, and I'm that's why I'm wondering whether this this logic that I've described basically after the Cold War really is not going to, is not going to follow anymore, right? I mean, it's not going to, is not going to continue. I, let me just say one thing about 9-11 and about, um, the economic, uh, the, 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 the 1998, um, economic, uh, crash. Um, I would suggest that these are, neither of these are of the same, um, level as the ones that we're talking about as we're experienced by the silent generation uh and, uh, and I'm sorry by from 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 the the greatest generation through generation X um 911 was very spectacular um but more people a year die in pools drown in pools right i mean it really was not it does not signal any sort of existential it's not like being 12 years old and having nuclear drills and going under your desk, right? And watching the day after on television. Well, and I mean, yeah. Walking into school wondering, you know, if, if, you know, if you're going to get nuked next week by the <laughs> Soviet Union who have got 3,000 ICBMs pointed at you. I mean, I almost feel like 9-11, we almost felt like we had to manufacture another something as big as the Cold War 
in order to sort of be able to justify continuing to be on this kind of endless war footing. Um, I never, <laughs> I never understood the reaction to nine eleven. I well, always thought it was wildly overstated. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Um, so three thousand people died. So that was nothing. like. I mean, in, in, yeah. In okay. So terms, it's, the number of people who died because of not wearing their seatbelt every year is probably is more than that. Right. Um, at the same time, it, it made everyone go. Afghanistan are not going to not going to overthrow the U.S. Right. right? But it it's it made not. everyone go insane. Like, you know, oh, I agree with that. Like, yeah, we were yeah. so insane that like eighty oh, percent of the public was like, "Yeah, invading Iraq is like the right step to take right now." Um, so a lot of people, yeah, they just like went crazy. Um, you know, they vastly overrated uh, the risk of another of like another catastrophic attack. And you know, in like two thousand one, two thousand two, two thousand three, I think a lot of people thought like this would, yeah, it's going to start happening like regularly that some sort of <laughs> you know. Uh, hu- you know, huge attack like this um, is going to be a regular part of life, and this is like the new normal. So, like that didn't happen, and they, the, the terrorists on American soil were only able to pull off you know one, the one spectacular attack, and they yeah. haven't you know they haven't even got close since then. Yeah. Um, but it still affected you know people who were so I'm like one of the oldest people who can call himself a millennial. So a lot you know people, many are uh, younger than me, and they were in high school when this happened, and or middle or elementary school and yeah it was like you know they saw they saw all the adults around them really freaking out about this shit and so so did you i mean that's fair (laughs) enough you know that's uh yeah no i I, listen i i'm not and we're talking about perceptions anyway right i mean that's in terms of what shapes the, the consciousness of a generation it's how they perceive things not how they actually are and so you know, I simply was pointing out that I, 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 am really inclined to think that, for whatever reason, this, this, this menace was manufactured to a great degree. Um, and in terms of the '98 crash, you know, the difference I would say between that and something like the Great Depression, which you know the Greatest Generation would have experienced and the Silent Generation would have experienced as children, right? Um, um, the difference is that the damage caused by the '98 is going to be much more long-term, right? In other words, it's not, wasn't as spectacular, right? You didn't wind up on the street. Your dad wasn't on the street selling pencils out of a cup, right? right. Um, what it means is that over the course of your life, you're going to, you're going to simply not be as wealthy as your parents were, or maybe never ever have that career that you want. I'm not suggesting this isn't bad. I'm saying it's just not as spectacular. I don't see that as having the same kind of, immediate effect on the consciousness of a, of, of a generation as, as something like the Great Depression did, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, I, do you think that your your generation and uh, feels has the same – was impacted in the same way that, 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 that let's say, the silence were by, uh, uh, by, by the Great Depression? No, because, you know, the – like there wasn't a uh, government social safety net then. Um, the, you know, the, uh, you know – People, you know, the the dust bowl happened. Like people were starving. Like, like, like your sense of jeopardy is different, right? It sort of. Yeah, like I never worried that I would end up homeless. You know, after the two thousand eight uh, financial cr- crisis. Um, whereas, you know, we know from history, plenty of people. I mean, you know, like there wasn't a like. Okay, you know, the Okies were not like traveling <laughs> to California. Like, like so, the society was more settled. Like people, people obviously lost their houses, and that was the core of the crisis. Um, uh, but most people did not like pull up roots and try to start life over. 
Um, I mean, that was probably, it was probably easier. I mean, when you have less, it's easier to start life over, um, than, than it is now when, um, when you have more, like literally more material possessions and also like you feel more secure, um, in society. So no, I don't think you got, I mean, the great recession cannot compare to the great, um, depression. Um, certainly the like political response to the, to the great depression was, is not the same as the political response has been to, um, the great recession. Um, just, uh, going back a little bit, you, you mentioned like, where did the, um, you know, the, the boomers and the millennials seem to have a, a, sim- a similarity and, and Gen X and the silent generation seemed to have a similarity is like, you know, but they didn't, there was no like secret room where people were conspiring to, to do this. But I mean, in the way there was a room and it was our childhood bedrooms and our dining room tables because, most millennials' parents are baby boomers. And this isn't, like, mentioned all that much. Uh, weirdly, yeah. when it seems so obvious, like, my parents, um, my father was born in 1945, uh, so right at the start, and my mother was born in 1950. Um, sure. So they were, cla- you know, classic baby boomers in a lot of ways. Um, and they, uh, you know, they, they had me a little, I guess, a little bit later in life than average for that time. Um, my mom was 33 when I was born. And... Yeah, so most so most of us were raised by baby boomers and like imbibed the values uh, of them. And when people talk about like millennials being raised by like helicopter parents, like we're still talking about baby boomers here mostly. Um, that's who was uh, monitoring our lives very closely, um, and they they had very very different childhoods. Um, so yeah, so there's that like there's a genetic link and a familial link. Yeah. Uh, in addition to like this. You know, cycles cycles of history, uh, uh, kind of link, um, yeah. and you know, it, it seems like uh, I mean, one of the critiques of my generation is like we're like too attached to our parents or attached to our parents in un- unhealthy ways. Um, my cat is going to make a cameo in, in a second, um, and yeah, I mean, we you know that's <laughs> that's the way we were raised, and our parents still want to be involved in our lives in a way that like other generations, maybe their parents wouldn't have like lived that long to begin with. And uh, if they, you know, it would have been somewhat more difficult to stay in touch now that, you know, without email and cell phones and yeah. And then, but then there's also just like the, uh, the idea that, you know, we have been, it's, it's become a lot harder to gain the, things that mark one as an adult in traditional American society uh, today than it was 30 years ago. You know, those things being marriage, um, a job yeah. and owning a home and having kids. Um, so there's been, you know, there's, <laughs> there's been a delay in all those things. Um, I, yeah. my wife and I actually own a home, but we live uh, in a very affordable part of the country in Western New York. Um, most people, Rod- is it Rochester? Yeah. Rochester, New York. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Most people I know, my age uh, don't own a home. Um, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I look at my former students now who are your age and, uh, you know, cause I've been teaching since 1999, uh, at, in, in, at Missouri. And so I have students now that are well in their thirties and almost all of them do not have careers in the traditional old fashioned sense. They don't own homes. And if they have families, they're broken. Broken in the sense that – I don't mean broken normatively. I mean descriptively. Mm -hmm. They're not married. The the, the children are through people that they either dated or lived with for a while. And so so, um, you're absolutely right. Um, um, 
And, um, you know, I, I really don't, you know, when, when I make jokes about millennials, they're just jokes. I mean, I, I really don't go for, for bashing, uh, people, um, due to the things that, that are a result of their circumstances. I mean, this is all the result of what we've done, the older people. <laughs> and, um, um, and no, I'm serious. Um, um, you know, cause it's easy to sort of, you know, make fun of millennials and all that, but you know, when you did that, I thought the thing about the homebodies was absolutely remarkable. And all I could think of is why would a bunch of young, attractive people want to act like old women, right? <laughs> um, um, you know, because when I think of somebody who never leaves their house, everything, I think of someone who's, you know, nine, like my mother is 90 years old and doesn't want to, you know, um, I couldn't imagine why a 20 year old would want to act like that or a 25 year old would want to act like that. But then when you start thinking, right? You can, it makes kind of sense, right? Um, um, why they'd want to act like that. If you now start subtracting all the things that I had when I was 25 that now you don't, um, um, it, it, it starts to look a lot more reasonable. Um, let me just say one other thing because I'm, I, I, you probably want to eventually move on pretty, uh, shortly, um, about, about Gen X that I think is, is, is useful and, 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 that, and, and, Kind of unique, and that is, I do really think that if, if of the three generations, Gen X is the most apolitical, um, and that's for two reasons. I mean, one reason has to do with that sort of Didion-esque general suspicion of narratives, and especially self uh, self uh, uh, pleasing narratives. Um, and you know, you know how your political narrative is always a very self pleasing narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's another reason that's very specific and situational. We are the generation that grew up at the time that we were able to see both the right and the left revealed for what they really were, right? So we saw, we watched Nixon, not a crook, right? Mm-hmm. And then we watched the baby boomers, the hippies, turn into the yuppies. Mm-hmm. And so that to me, my, if you ask me, you know, sort of what is your most core sort of political, I, you know, sort of where does it all come from? It's like watching the hippies sell out <laughs> and watching the Republicans turn into a bunch of right wing, horrible troglodytes, right? Post Eisenhower kind of troglodytes, right? That's if you ask me. And so my politics is very minimalistic in a sense, right? Um, precisely because I don't trust anybody. <laughs> um, in politics. And so I just want a sort of a bare bones classical liberalism and that's it. The rest of it, I don't trust the left to do it and I don't trust the right to do it. And I think that that's very, very much a characteristic of the Gen X attitude. And I think we could use a little bit of it now. I mean, the politics now is so partisan and so vicious that I really do think that we could use a little dose of apoliticality right now. I know that's not a word, but I don't know what you think of that. But um. Yeah, it's interesting. I, that actually, I mean, once once again reminds me of Trump, as almost everything does these days. Uh, I mean, the way oh, he... you think he's apolitical? No, the way he campaigned was as a... I mean, he's literally an outsider to the to the political system. Um, that's true. And then he kind of like campaigned as someone who was who would break the the like partisan orthodoxy because he's going to go, like, right on some issues, left on other issues. Um, you know, he's just going to, like, I think he said a lot a lot of times when he was running that, like, he would hire just, like, the best people to be in his cabinet, like, no matter what they believed. Okay, well, when he was elected, it turns out that he doesn't actually give a shit about anything at all. And so he just does whatever, like, the Republicans tell him to do, more or less. Um, you know, there's some things that... that uh, there's a couple things that he did that like 
Ted Cruz would not, would not have done, like the North Korea stuff and maybe the free trade, you know, uh, canceling trade agreements and blah, blah. But, um, other, other than that, he's, you know, down the line conservative. And so, so like the outsider, you know, the whole system is rotten, drain the swamp guy had enough appeal to win the, you know, win the electoral college, but then because it's this, you know, bizarre human known as Donald J. Trump, um, nothing, you know, nothing along those lines has actually happened. Um, I want to, I want to mention, we'll link to it below this essay, uh, that just went up today, uh, in, from the New York Times magazine, uh, how much power do millennials quote actually have is by Willie. I I thought that was quite good. You sent that to me today and I did read it before we talked. I thought that was quite good. I, I hardly recommend it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And he has a funny, um, I think he's around my age, a year or two younger, and he has a funny split of between the um, the good millennials and <laughs> the bad millennials. Uh, the good millennials are were born eighty two to eighty nine, and the bad millennials were born uh, ninety to two thousand or so. And yeah. um, so he's, I mean, this is kind of joking because he's like, of course, so like that means I'm a good millennial, but he puts it into like, do you have? I, I think part of it was like, do you have? a memory of life before like the, the online world, uh, you know, came in, came into popular existence. Yeah. And, um, and then there's another split between people who, um, who, uh, grew up watching Sesame street and people who grew up watching Barney as, yeah. <laughs> as the, yeah. as the right. cultural difference, yeah. which actually my, my brother was born in 1990. Um, and he, he watched Barney as, as a, as a kid. And so I was like, you know, nine, ten, eleven. When he was watching Barney, I just remember how like stultifying it was, and how much did I you hate it. it as much as I did having to watch? I mean, it probably. My daughter. Yeah, it was yeah, it was it was awful. Whereas, like, I think probably if you know, if you or I watched Sesame Street today, it would be like mildly enjoyable to to pay yeah. attention to it. Um, so that's an interesting, an interesting generational divide as well. Uh, there's actually one more. I wanted to mention this one other thing, which is that <clears throat> that has to do with my brother again. Um. I played uh, Ultimate Frisbee in high school. Um, so did I. <laughs> so my so Ultimate Frisbee was invented at my high school, believe it or not, 50 years ago. No way. In 1968, so Columbia High School in Maplewood, New Jersey. Um, oh, that's cool. So there's, so there's always been a team there. And so it was like less unusual to, to play Ultimate um, at, at that particular school. So I, I played it um, my junior and senior year. And um, I have very strong memories of... How, you should tell people what it is because people. I mean, there's going to be people who don't know what that yeah, is. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a sport. It's a sport that is a kind of combination of football and soccer with a little bit of basketball, and you throw a frisbee around uh, instead of uh, kicking a ball or throwing a ball. Um, yeah, we and, called it football with a frisbee. Is what we. Call it. <laughs> yeah, so it's a it's a fun, it's a fun game that's always been kind of like a, a niche thing. Like uh, you know, it's like people play it around the world, but um, you know, many people don't know what it is. Anyway, um, it was it wasn't a varsity sport. It was a club at my school, and it's varsity sport at virtually no high school in America, just a couple. Um, so we didn't have like a uh, faculty advisor. Um, we just uh, we just ran the thing ourselves, and that was just like how it was. Um, and I was one of the few people who had a driver's license and access to a car I could use. Um, the old station wagon that my family had from the early nineties. And so when we went to tournaments, um, you know, we had to get up at like six in the morning and assemble in the parking lot. And I always ended up having to drive, um, to these tournaments because, you know, there was just like no one else 
you know, no one else had a driver's license. Uh, so that, so it became such a running joke that like my nickname became you have to drive. Um, <laughs> okay. So then, okay. So fast forward seven years later, my brother born in 1990, he went to <laughs> save high, public high school and he played ultimate frisbee too. And somehow between the two of us, the culture of it had totally changed to, uh, the parents being very, very involved. And, oh, um, and so, um, my mom didn't even remember when we were talking about this a couple of years ago, my mom didn't even remember that, like, I was the one driving and she was like, well, why didn't, why didn't we do the driving? Like the parents? And I was like, well, you guys just, you know, you weren't involved and like, we didn't think they should be involved. It was just like our thing. Whereas it took seven, it only took seven years for like the parents to be like very involved, like coming to games and cheering on the sidelines and driving them to tournaments and stuff. Um, and yeah, so there is, and it's, you know, a lot, it was actually, there was a couple kids where like the, the older brother played and then the younger brother, uh, played years later. So it was like the same parents. It wasn't like a new yeah. set of parents entirely. Um, it yeah. was, it was just, there was some kind of cultural change to these like younger kids, um, that like they needed more help. Like 9-11 happened in between. I don't know what, like the Iraq war. I don't know what else it was or just some, something in the air that was like, okay, now the kids need more help. Like, yeah. like doing yeah. this stuff. Um, this before we uh, before we get into Star Wars, I just wanted to the thing you said before about Trump. Um, I never bought the, his apolitical stuff. I always thought that was bullshit. I never bought a minute of it. I thought during the election, the campaign, that he was essentially running as a sort of Pat Buchanan style paleo conservative, so anti foreign intervention, pro protectionist po- trade policies, and then social conservatism. You know, an- anti LGBT, anti drug legalization. That's what I thought he was sort of setting himself up to run as. Um, I should have known better. <laughs> um, but um, I didn't. I never really bought the apolitical. Do you think anybody really bought that apolitical, or, or do you think? Um, most of the people like me thought he was running as some kind of a paleo, well, uh, I in mean, the Buchanan, Buchanan mold of I, I, combination of right wing cultural policies mm-hmm. with more left wing like economic, economic po- populism. Yeah. I mean, I think like the vast majority of Americans, including the majority of American voters, like have very little understanding of politics and pay almost no attention to politics. Um, yeah, and right. you can't blame you're them right. because they have other stuff to do and they're, they're raising, busy. <laughs> they're raising their kids and working and going to. Driving the kids to ultimate frisbee tournaments and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, Trump was just like this guy who they knew because of reality TV and he was like this billionaire who always did the right thing and people just like, you know, so probably they, there were like three or four policies they could have associated with Trump, like build the wall. Right. <laughs> I don't know, lock her up. Like what were his, his other like big policies that like he, the man on the street could identify with? I don't know. So he, you know, he just ran on the image. Um, yeah. more than, than policies, because most, most people don't have developed political philosophies or anything, because no, like, I think why, right. why would they need to have one? So. Yeah, no, fair enough. So Star Wars? Yeah, let's, okay, <clears throat> let's talk about Star Wars. So we're, this is like extremely not timely, because we're talking about movies that have come out over the past 18 months or so. Um, but we did a conversation after <laughs> The Force Awakens came out, uh, which we can link to, and I remember us both enjoying that movie a lot. And, uh, you know, talking about how fun it was and what a good time it was. Um, and then three other Star Wars movies have come out since then. Um, they are, I think, in order, chronological order, uh, Rogue One. Rogue One. The Last Jedi. Solo. Was it, was it Solo? I think, I think Last Jedi came out first and then Solo came out okay. this year. Because okay. Last, Last Jedi was last Christmas. Hold on. Hey, Lima, come on. 
You are beset by an unruly menagerie. Yeah, they're they're all over the place. Um, okay, so so I think the so there's a couple interesting things. So one is um, a lot of the so pretty much everyone was happy. Fans, regular people, reviewers were happy with Force Awakens. Like it was a joyous occasion for everyone, and that was not the case for Last Jedi. Um, I think the reviewers liked it, but a lot of fans, like the hardcore fans, fan ba- there was a fan backlash. They didn't like it. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the question is like, what's the difference here? And then you also have like their t- like the spinoff side of it. Um, you know, so Rogue One was the first spinoff, and that was a pre like a direct prequel to Star Wars. And I think that was an economic, you know, that was like a blockbuster, and people were more happy with it. And then Solo came out this year, and that was like. The first kind of like okay, they're gonna do, do like a spinoff for like every character. It seemed like, and right. and people did not like. So I think most people agree that Solo was not that good. It didn't do that that well, and they seem to have canceled their plans to keep on doing these type of movies. There was going to be a Boba Fett movie, as- which I'm kind of I'm actually kind of sad about that. I, 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 you know, I think one of the things I hope that we'll talk about a little bit is um, this kind of immediate reaction to. Fan reaction and, 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 and also fan knee jerk reaction. Um, 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 I think that this is what killed, uh, the Star Trek franchise was what the fan reaction to Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, in other words, there's, there's, I think this is killing video game franchises now. There's this almost immediate, such a brutal, immediate fan backlash that you almost get the sense that unless, you know, you sort of pull the fans and find out what, what they want and then make the game exactly that way, you're just not gonna, you're just not gonna, you're, you know, you're just gonna get all this torrents of hatred poured on you. And, um, and so in other words, I wish the fans wouldn't do it and I wish that the developers, creators would not listen to it so much. Um, um, and I don't know why at this particular moment this is happening to this degree. I don't know if you have any theories about this or if you even agree. Um, um, well, that this is happening. Yeah, um, um, I think so. The twenty years ago, the only way, the, the only like what criteria were like the critics, like good review, bad review, and the box office or whatever the video game equivalent of box office is. Um, so, yeah, so people weren't like writing letters to the studio saying like, "Well, I like the movie, but this part didn't make any sense to me," or maybe like only like cranks and weirdos were, were doing that. Um, there was no ability for the average person to. They might off. write a letter to a fan magazine, right? They, you know, so if they were subscribed to, you know, pre-internet, if they were subscribed to film magazines that ran an article about the movie, they might have written a letter to the editor that might have gotten in. But you're right, there wasn't this capacity to just vent in yeah. a way that was publicly readable by everybody, right? Yeah, um, and then there's um, there's the uh, tendencies that get amplified on social media, which are. Um, extreme emotion is what gets you attention and retweets and likes and so forth. And, uh, people <laughs> figure this out really quickly. And so, uh, like a lot of, I mean, this has been going on for a while with online, like online criticism is like, it's either this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life or this fucking sucks. Like there's no, there's no middle ground because there's no reward for being like, well, Couple good things here, also some bad sides, like a mixed bag overall. Like Which no one, most things really are. Right? Yeah, most <laughs> things more or less are, are in the middle. So yeah, extreme reaction gets you a retweet, and then um, yeah, tribalism. You know, like tribalism gets 
you know, is social media exacerbates tribalism and people can be tribal about anything. So the people who, the, the hardcore Star Wars fans who love The Last Jedi can be tribal against the hardcore Star Wars fans who hated The Last Jedi and they can yeah. fight each other all day long and have, yeah. you know, get emotional satisfaction for, for doing that and feeling like they're in a, you know, a great battle over the soul of Star Wars or whatever. So a lot of, um, people were not happy with The Last Jedi and, um, some of it got mixed up with the idea that like Disney bought the franchise and Disney wanted the franchise to be like more like politically correct or uh racially diverse, which maybe they did. I don't know. Um, You know, the original Star Wars movie, the first one is like every person, every actor in it is white more or less. And then there's a couple non-white characters introduced later on, whereas like in the force awakens, uh, the main character is a woman and the, the supporting characters are, uh, black man and Hispanic man. And then, uh, th- there was this real ugliness related to, uh, the actress, I think her name is Kelly Marie Tran. The Asian, the Asian, the young Asian woman who played, yes. I forget the name of the character. I think her name is Rose something. Rose. But Kurt- she has a sort of a side adventure with, um, with Flynn, with Flynn, right? Um, Finn, um, Finn. um, on the, on the gambling planet. Yeah. Um, so um, people were like yeah. attacking her, you know, uh, in, racialized terms or something and yeah uh, i mean really nasty yeah stuff. Just, yeah, yeah so yeah. people were really <laughs> a number of internet cranks were <laughs> really incensed about this um okay what so why don't we talk about like just last jedi and whether what, what you thought of it overall because i i didn't think it was very good okay so so it's funny you know um when we talked about force awakens one of the things that i said to you was that two things about it i said well gosh it really is just a remake of the first movie. It has exactly the same structure. And secondly, that Kylo Ren is a real hipster Darth Vader, right? I mean, he's really, you know, he's all self-tortured and everything. And I didn't find him very scary for that reason. Um, but I also said that, you know, really the test of this is going to be as to whether or not they can now make this franchise belong to the next generation of young people. In other words, this franchise is no longer, it's not for people like me, right? Mm -hmm. For people like me, it's just a nostalgia trip and that you can't do that forever. I mean, not if you want to have a sort of a living franchise, right? You can't do that, right? You have to sort of adapt. And so I said, the real test is going to be whether they are managed to adapt. And the reason why I like the, look, the force away, not the Force. last Jedi had 80 more things that I should have disliked than, 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 uh, force awakens. Um, but I do think it very successfully handed the franchise over to, to the younger generation. Um, and, um, um, in that it reflected what are their concerns and are their values and are their priorities. Um, and, um, it seems to me that as a 50 year old man, I should be generous about that and not clutching the thing saying, no, 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 keep it the way I like it. Um, that just seems to me to be a stupid, a stupid and selfish way to sort of approach popular culture. Now I know exactly why people didn't like it and people didn't like it because it has a very heavy handed social justice component. I think that's also the reason why people didn't like solo because of uh, some of that, some of that aspect of it. Whereas Rogue One really didn't have any of it. One of the things I, I have to just say, just as a, I think Rogue One is one of the best installments, period. Hmm. Um, I, I actually think it's as good as the, the first round of the three. I think you could have put it back with those three and it would have stood up. Um, and what I really liked about Rogue One is that it managed to introduce that diversity without constantly shouting it at you. 
it had a female lead. It had a racially diverse cast, but somehow you just didn't feel like they were, look, look, here's our black person. Oh, <laughs> look, 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 here's a woman. And by the way, all the white guys suck, right? And, you know, it sort of, it, it did it in such a more natural way. Um, um, and it did it in a way that, that didn't, didn't, it, it was, I thought it was really masterfully done. Last Jedi, I think, is very heavy handed in that regard. It's very sort of obvious. But on the other hand, I say to myself, you know, so what? Right? I mean, it's for kids now. And these are the concerns of young people now. And, um, you know, they'll grow up. You know what I mean? It won't stay, it won't be, you know, you know, it won't be purple hair forever, right? <laughs> they will, you know, um, but you it know what I mean? I'm, using it, I'm using it as a stand. I mean, once you, once you get your, like, a gauge earring put in your ear, like, that's forever. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's true, yeah. Um, but you know, so I just, um, I thought, I thought it worked. Um, um, uh, I thought, you know, and I thought I actually read an article about this that I'm going to I'm going to link to in, in the link section um, that really said that the movie is a metaphor for the handing off from one generation to the next, um, um, and that you see it explicitly in the in the in the Luke Skywalker arc, right? Um, and, and you know, right? And in a sense, you know, he, you know, he's he's going to sacrifice himself um, after having really failed to cultivate the next generation properly, right? he's going to take the responsibility for that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, people were furious about Luke's arc and I thought it was great. I mean, I thought to myself, I said, you know something, um, that's actually kind of, that's really realistic in a way that sort of keeping him as sort of the all shucks boy hero from the seventies. Um, except now he's old would have been ridiculous. Right. Um, um, now I know Mark Hamill wasn't very happy about the arc and I don't know what arc he would have preferred. But I thought that the Luke arc was quite realistic and quite moving and definitely stamped the movie as a generational torch passing, right? And saying, okay, look, yes, the franchise was built around these iconic characters, but if this universe is going to continue on, we do have to eventually move to the, move on to the next generation, just like the damn baby boomers should go away. Right? <laughs> yeah. Let somebody else, let somebody else have a turn for God's sake. Right? Um, yeah, yeah. So, That's how I felt about it to a great extent. Yeah. Um, what, did, what did you not like, uh, Arya? Well, we should say, you know, I'm going to spoil if this movie came out a year ago. Yeah, so spoilers, you should, should know yeah, by now. Of course. Um, yeah. yeah, so I guess I didn't, like, it didn't really feel like a Star Wars movie to me. And then maybe that's just the nostalgia. Because, like, Force Awakens was, like, almost a beat-for-beat beat remake of um, the first the first Star Wars, um, A New Hope. And then people were like, well, are they going to do Empire next? And so they didn't do that. So I guess that's, that's a good thing. They're trying something new. Um, I, you know, I think maybe nostalgia is like built into this, like the franchise at this point. Like they're still making these movies 40 years after they first came out. Like, and everyone like, you know, watches them as, um, when they're children. So, Except, except for like very young people who are going into the, going to it for the first time. So, I don't know. The, the, the nostalgia part, um, I don't know if you should, if they should get rid of that. Um, but yeah, there were parts where, well, I mean, like Luke is like cynical Luke <laughs> now. And, um, you know, the, I was very surprised in like the first minutes of the movie when, uh, he takes the lightsaber and tosses it, <laughs> tosses behind him, like, you know, this, this whole thing, like, get rid of it. So that was, that was surprising. Um, 
it was yeah. So the Luke stuff was interesting, and you could see how it made sense for him to, you know, sacrifice himself and evaporate into you know wherever uh, the Jedi's go into the world of the Force or whatever. I assume into he'll be, the ether. Yeah, I assume he'll be making a cameo as a blue ghost in the next movie because that's what they do. Um, I mean, Yoda came back in the, in that one. Uh, you know, it was it was. Like so, obviously Mark Hamill is still alive, and Harrison Ford is still alive, and sadly Carrie Fisher is not is not alive anymore. Yeah. So it seems like they have to do something because they can't have her play a big role just with CGI, uh, which they actually did in Rogue One with um, the guy who plays. People Dr- hated on Grand that. Moff I actually Tarkin. thought it worked pretty damn well in Rogue One. I mean, it was it not not really very distracting. Yeah, I mean, it looks um, like it kind of, to me it looked like a very good kind of like almost claymation or something. That was in there, like you could tell it wasn't real, but it looked pretty good, and you could just let it go on. And then Carrie Fisher appeared as a young woman at the very end of Rogue One, which is like I found affecting and moving. Um, you know, seeing her as uh, in her youth, you know, her youth. I, I found that incredible. I actually did not know. I had not read anything about Rogue One, and then as it unfolded, and it turned out to be the backstory as to how the hell the rebellion got the plans for the Death Star. I have to tell you, it, it gave me goosebumps. Having seen the original movie in the theaters as a kid, it gave me absolute goosebumps to watch. Um, and, and I think it, that's why I think the movie is almost kind of a perfect movie in the franchise. It really was able to satisfy old guys like me. And I, I think at the same time, satisfy a lot of the new sensibilities of young people now. I think, though, to be fair to Last Jedi, I said, well, well, why didn't they do it as well as Rogue, as Rogue One? Rogue One, it was a lot easier to do it. It was, a, it was essentially a caper film. Right. Last Jedi is a huge sprawling epic, and it just you couldn't have done it that way. Um, let me let me ask you about the nostalgia thing because this is really interesting. Um, you know, Star Trek had no trouble with that, right? So, and you can't talk about anything more iconic than Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, right? And yet, Next Generation was even more successful and had none of those people in it. And do you think there's something about why do you is there something about Star Wars that you think is is makes it unable to shed the nostalgia element and, and continue on in this way or, or, or what, well, or is it just you or what do you think? Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting to compare the two and, and like a lot of, you know, as kids, we, you know, we would debate like which one, which one was better. Um, but like their history is very different. So like Star Trek was kind of a failure uh, in its initial run. I think it was only three years and then right. it went away for a number of years and then started coming back with the movies. So it was, well, no, started- actually, no, no. Well, the reason they got the movies was because it was very successful in syndication. Mm-hmm. So it went off the air after three years, but then all through the seventies growing up, it was everywhere. Okay, right? that's and interesting. I watched it as a kid growing up because it was it was successful in syndication and that's how they got uh the movies made. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sorry. Okay, but whereas Star Wars was like an immediate blockbuster that like everyone whereas Star Trek was more like people who are into sci fi, which was in its fairly in its infancy in the late sixties, yeah. whereas Star Wars by that point, like sci fi had been you know, accepted as a, a movie genre, and it was you know the highest grossing film of all time. I think uh, when it when it first came out. So there, yeah, so there's that difference of like uh, who you know the average person has seen the Star Wars movies. Has the average person seen uh, Star Trek at the like the like I've only seen a couple of the movies. Uh, the the generate next generation was was on through my childhood and it would air in syndication. And, you know, I, I've seen a lot of those episodes, but I've only seen a couple of the original, uh, the original episodes. Then, so when it was time for, and you know, no, only Leonard Nimoy, I think appeared in the rebooted movie. 
um, playing like an alternate reality version of himself. Um, and so those, those people were older. Uh, a number of them have, are no longer with us. Uh, so there's, there's that part of it that it's not like we still feel like the strong, like emotional link to, you know, Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill. Um, just go, going back to Rogue One, which I actually just watched, uh, today, um, so did was, you think it was as good as I did? I I liked the final sequence, which is kind of like the final forty five minutes. Like that was that was exciting and well done. The earlier parts I wasn't as crazy about. I mean, it's 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 a strange movie in that. Uh, spoiler alert: All the heroes die <laughs> at, the, at the very end. I um, that that was that made it kind of really. I, I like that about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's like so. It's a tra- it's like a tragic story, or these people are like sacrificing themselves for the greater good and not even a single one of the characters we've been, you know, uh, growing accustomed to over the earlier two hours, uh, survives to, to tell the tale. So that's, that's weird. And, um, and for a big blockbuster movie, it's, it's certainly interesting, um, to, you know, to, to do that. Uh, I, you know, I liked getting back to nostalgia. There were a number of little like moments pointing towards the earlier movie, like a character would have, appear from the like the first Star Wars it would appear on screen for you know three seconds or something so so there was that and they you know they kept on having uh the the robot or the droid say things that were like made us think of C-3PO and then he finally almost says I have a bad feeling about this but then the other two characters are like stop it so that was that was a funny a funny twist on on that being a classic phrase. So I, I, I liked it. Um, I, I liked it better than the last Jedi. So just to get back to last Jedi. It, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. It, it was, um, I don't know. There were, I felt like there were just big structural problems with how they wanted this, how they built the story. Like the whole, they have this like, um, search for, it, it's like a MacGuffin kind of, it's like they need to get the, find the guy who can break the code so that they can, cut through the thing so they can go to warp speed again and not be followed. So it's like a Rube Goldberg and then they do it. And like, I almost think like I, at the t- after seeing it for the first time, I was thinking that it was supposed to be, um, it was supposed to be Lando um, to playing the role of the code breaker mm. guy who was played by Benicio del Toro because they're like, that would just make more sense that it's like someone we know than just this random guy, because then the random yeah. guy, um, betrays them, and we're supposed to be like a betrayal <laughs> from this guy who's just a criminal. So that doesn't make any sense. They're all like shocked that this guy who they just met betrayed him. And then in the end, that whole sequence doesn't matter at all. It's, it's just like meaningless to, to the plot because you yeah. know various things and them coming onto the ship and shooting it out. So that whole se- it was like they 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 needed to have a plot line for Finn. Yeah, they wanted to introduce a non-white female character. Like, what could we have them do? Go to this weird gambling planet and do yeah. some stuff there, and then we but, could also like rip on rich people a little bit, you know, and sort of like and no, I, I, you know, I, I agree with you. You know, it's funny. I don't think it was a good movie, but I think it was successful in, in terms in, in the sense that I thought that the main thing it was tasked with doing was what I described earlier, and that was um um breaking out of the the nostalgia to the extent to which you know that 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 the franchise would now ha- now has new people um and art re- reflects new concerns new values new mores etc that mm-hmm. are in line with the current young generation i thought it did that very well and i thought in some of the ways it did it in a very moving powerful way like luke's like luke's arc um it also did it in more annoying ways i mean 
I actually find the main character in that movie really sort of ter- – I mean I find her really implausible. It's just like you know, she wakes up one day and she's just the mo- like the most powerful Jedi ever and nobody – you know, it's and, and she's never wrong about anything and, and, and it's just really – in that sense, I thought that, that the female protagonist in Rogue One was so much better because there wasn't all of that over – you could still respect her and be impressed without feeling like – it was like, you know, you know, a feminist billboard, right? I mean, I mean, um, 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 but, and so, like I said, there's, there are 18 more reasons why I should have hated Last Jedi than, <laughs> than, than, than Force Awakens. But I really do think it's, imp- I, I think it's really important uh, that, that young people have these kinds of myth- access to these sorts of mythologies through, uh, uh, entertainment and, um, for cultural reasons. And I, 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 I don't like, people my age or older trying to take it away from them by saying, no, 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 this is ours and um, you can't have it and don't you dare change it and don't you dare bring your values into it. I really I really don't like that. And um, so I'm probably more inclined to be more generous to it than you because I'm trying to resist imposing myself on the younger generation's entertainments. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Um, um, I just I I disagree with you about um, Ray the main the main character. I thought okay, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think it's in. I think the performance is very good, um, and I like the actress, but I don't like. Well, so you know they set up. So it's kind of like in the first one, it was an echo of Luke being this nobody from the middle of nowhere who, you know, turns out he has this you know this power. He, but he doesn't he goes, fight Darth Vader. Obi Wan does, right? If Luke had gone up against Darth Vader in the first episode, first movie, he would have gotten his head cut off. Well, in okay, that's, seconds, that's true. Whereas Ray goes in and beats Kylo Ren in the first movie, right? Which <laughs> right, I just so, thought was ridiculous. So the question is like, okay, so <laughs> in the first movie, it sets up this idea that like, uh, who there's a mystery about who Ray's parents are, and it's like, is she actually Kylo Ren's sibling? Is she Kylo Ren's cousin because she's um, uh, she's Luke's uh, child, and you know how is she so powerful? And then there's this really like interesting. I think the one like really striking, memorable scene in in the movie is when she's in this like uh, hall of mirrors kind of thing and is looking. You're talking about Last Jedi, now. yes, yeah, sorry, in Last yeah. Jedi, and so she's in some kind of like mystical cave or something, and she thinks. Like she, as I recall it, I, she sees kind of like a form coming towards her and she thinks that, you know, through like the magical mirror or whatever, and she thinks that a, um, maybe it's going to be her parents coming towards her and actually it's herself. And then, uh, she, there's this, uh, illusion of her like infinitely moving in either, in either direction. And it, so it's kind of like, my interpretation was like, it's, she's like self-created in a way or doesn't matter where she comes from. Later on, Kylo yeah, Ren. Later, later on, they're told that she's told explicitly, "Your parents are nobodies." Right. So that's what Kylo Ren says. So who knows if that's true? You know, he is a bad guy. So that bad guys lie. So yeah, he says like, you know, your parents are trash and they sold you for money, basically. Um, so then it's so then you know, going back to the original, the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, there's this strong idea that like uh, the Jedi is associated with uh, bloodlines and it's like a hereditary thing. And the you know the reason that Luke Skywalker is so um, powerful is because his father was so powerful, and the reason his father was so powerful had to do with these midi chlorians that were in his bloodstream. It's never that's never really which I wish that they never <laughs> that's never really explained. Like... Yeah, so it's like, is there a genetic reason that someone's a Jedi? Is it like, is it because your parents are Jedi, or is it something that like anyone can be a Jedi? It just it's kind of like luck of the draw. Like you know, 
and like anyone could turn out to have a ver- great talent for you know playing the violin or something um it you know it doesn't matter what your what your parents did and so like the there's like <laughs> a more kind of old style conservative like like sense of like inheritance and like aristocracy that's baked into the like this old way of understanding the jedi that's like only the children of jedi can be jedi like right. like you over there on the street you're like you'll never be a jedi uh and that Luke derives his power from his birth line. And then if there's this new understanding that like anyone can be a Jedi and it's shown in the very final scene that this like street urchin uh, seems to be a Jedi as well, that that's like a democratization democratization well, uh, of the no force. problem with her being a Jedi from, from no inheritance, right? The problem I have is her being a Jedi that can beat the new Darth Vader from with nothing, with nothing. I mean, I mean, you know, and, and even in the third one, I thought that the pacing was off. I mean, uh, um, I'm sorry, the second one, the pacing was off. I, I felt a, I thought Empire Strike Back was better paced in terms of us coming to believe that Luke actually would be strong enough by the end of his training to fight Darth Vader. I mean, the sequences with yoga with Yoda, I thought, I don't even know if they were actually longer than the, than the sequences in the last uh, Jedi, but I got more of a sense that I would, I could believe. I just didn't see Ray do anything that would make me believe that she could even last two, two minutes fighting against someone who's supposedly as strong as Kylo Ren. Um, um, yeah, I could see that. Um, I mean, you know, um, Luke says at one point the Jedi need to die. He's like become disillusioned from the Jedi. He tried to teach uh the you know young children jedi <laughs> jedi uh and they turned into kylo ren <laughs> yeah and he did such a bad job that one of them turned into a supervillain um yeah. so he's like sick of that thing so yeah i think it was like you know does do like do we need this aristocratic sort of like setup in which the jedi are the i mean they're like warrior monks and they <laughs> they um you know wear these robes and stuff like is this necessary or is it just like you know any like anyone can can do it yeah uh, you yeah. know it's, it's a contrasting view um you know one is more like small d democratic than the other but also one is more kind of populist than the other instead of like you know you can imagine the donald trump of the star wars universe being like you know these elitist jedi they think they're so good with their lightsabers and their robes they're like what do they really know um you know i could i could be a better one if i wanted to so uh so there's that as well but yeah i i didn't uh, i didn't like it overall i didn't like it the first time i saw it i rewatched it for this conversation and was like yeah this still kind of sucks um it had some it had some good parts uh it, you know, visually I would not have predicted that i would like it better than you <laughs> that i would not have predicted um um but um, I understand your reasons, um, um, and Vin- mine to a certain extent. I, you know, in a lot of ways, I didn't like it, but I really tried to watch it the second time, not through my eyes, but through you know a twelve-year-old kid's eyes. Yeah, and f- through those eyes, I think it was successful um, um, at what it was trying to do. Look, none of the Star Wars movies were great cinema. Um, I mean, one of the things you really realize you go back and watch those original ones is how wooden the acting is, how stilted the writing is. Um, it was always about mythology and, and myth making and, 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 and never really was about. And so I think if the question is, is this good myth making for the current generation of 12, 13, 14 year old kids? My answer is yes. I think it is. Um, and I do think it managed to pass the torch and shed shed what was distinctive about it 
for us, for my generation. Um, and in that sense, maybe it's the hardest for someone like you because you're kind of in the middle of it, right? <laughs> right. I guess your era really is the prequels. And those uh, were well, such a disaster yeah, that, I'm you a little, probably, uh, that you probably then went back to the originals to just not be sort of saddled with the prequels, right? Well, well really, I'm since I'm an older millennial, um, I, the time when I – I mean I saw, I saw the original movies on VHS as a kid. And then right. if you remember, they re-released them in theaters as a special editions in like – 96 97 around there you know what i didn't i remember the special editions i didn't remember them re they re-released them in theaters yes wide release yes so you did see them in the theaters yes so i saw all those and i was very excited Ah. by them and then by the time and then when the first prequel came out which i think was 98 or 99 so i would have been like 14 15 or so i remember like being really excited to see it and then going to see it and being like this sucks (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where, where, whereas, like, um, I have a friend who is um, uh, 28 or so right now, and he saw those prequels as kids, and he loves them still, even though he knows they're crappy, but, like, that was his, you know, his entry point his in, Star in, Wars. Yeah, yeah, into, into Star this Star. universe. Um, so, so yeah, so I don't know. Maybe each, every generation, every generation gives to the next generation <laughs> the Star Wars that it thinks they want, and maybe they're maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. But I think that that's a good thing. I mean, you know, uh, uh, like I said, I mean, I think every generation does need this kind of mythology. And I think this sort of entertainment is the way it's primarily transmitted now, not through books. Um, and, um, I actually think it's very important. And so, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm just a little sad that because of, um, some trolley fan backlashes, that it might be the case that they're just going to stop doing it, which I think would be a shame. Um, 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 I would like to see it go on. Just as I like to see, I'd like to see Star Trek go on. I'm actually really kind of disappointed at what they've done. I mean, I'm now watching the Orville as as my Star Trek, right? Because Discovery, I think, is just sort of hopeless, and um, and the reboot film, the films, I think, are done. Um, um, and I don't think they're going to go back to them. Yeah, they made three. But I mean, that's you there's know. this new Picard show coming out that right, I'm right. really wondering what on earth that's. That when that hits, you and I are going to have to talk again because I'm really <laughs> I have no idea what that's going to be all about. Yeah, but, and that, that um, was the Star Trek of my childhood, um, was Next Generation. Uh, so just, br- I know we didn't want to yeah, talk sure, about it a lot, but just briefly, let's, I just want to mention Solo, um, which I saw in theaters, not, I mean, it was perfectly fine as like an adventure movie, but when you think like, oh, this is supposed to be the, you know, origin story for a, a you know, one of the most beloved fictional characters of the past 50 years, uh, it left something to be, you know, there, there wasn't enough there. Um, was it the actor or the writing, do you think, that failed to satisfy in terms the, of... The casting was a huge miscasting that that guy I that agree. got to play the main guy didn't look, sound, move, act like Harrison Ford as as Han Solo, so I don't know what they were thinking with that. Um, I, you know, I liked, you know, just the, the, the nostalgia parts of like, oh, this is how they, Han met Chewie, like, that was fun, and the other yeah. little parts. There were parts that were super cheesy when it's like, he, they decided to, to name him Han Solo because he was flying solo on the passenger ship or something. That was, that was a little too much. Um, but yeah, it was, I, what did you what did you think about the thing with Londo? I mean, that's what created a lot of the backlash in this particular one um, from the trolley. The trolley. What did you think of how they dealt with that? Um, well, I'm I'm a Donald Glover fan. I've liked him since he was on Community. I thought I, he did a better job recreating the character than the Han Solo actor. Oh, did. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, there. So it was okay. Um, I mean, parts of it were. I mean, the movie had to. 
it was like they said, okay, we need to explain these 10 things about Han Solo and, uh, you know, from why his last name is Solo to how did he actually, you know, how did he win the Millennium Falcon in, in a game of Sar- Sarbok or whatever, whatever it's called. So it was like, in some ways it was like a dutiful going through and they had to show that. I, I didn't actually catch what was the, what was the exact backlash to, to. Was whoever. that about his sexuality or something? Oh, that there was a kind of implication that he might be gay or something or bisexual. Yeah, that's what I that's what I remember people bitching about the most. I mean, that if if this is like a guy who's like, you know, a, a pleasure seeker in all realms of life. That was, that was kind of the way he was portrayed in in um Empire at least. And you know, but also someone who's always looking out for himself, and that's why he um, you know, turns in tur- turns them into Vader uh or or to Boba Fett at least. Um so Although yeah, he does redeem he does redeem himself later. Right, yeah. So he because he has his own little yeah, heroic. In Empire, I mean he does redeem himself. Right, for, and in Jedi he's piloting, I'm sorry, in Jedi he yeah, redeemed he's himself for what he did. Falcon when they blow yeah. the Falcon Um Yeah, so I was fine with that, but but again, it, I don't know. If you stripped the like Star Wars aspects from from it, then it would have just been like an a fine, you know, an action, average paper movie. Yeah, action movie and you would forget about it very quickly. Um, but you Fast be, and Furious in space, <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Um, yeah, so but it it is interesting that like it was poor, so poorly received that they are not are like at least putting on hold their plans to try to do like this the thing that like Marvel has done to create like the cinematic universe and have a new film coming out every six months, um, which is a huge uh, cash cow. Um, and yeah, but I I don't know if I really need to know Boba Fett's backstory. Like, in the, like Han Solo's wasn't that great. Like, oh, are we gonna find out why his name is Boba? Like, who cares? You know? Yeah, I don't know. I like I like the idea of filling in backstory. So that's one of the, another reason. One of the reasons I like Rogue One so much. And I think there's a ton of interesting backstory you could fill in without it having to be the history of of, of iconic first gen characters, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really hope that after Last Jedi that they are going to, if they keep going, that they're going to cultivate the new generation characters and not keep trying to throw back. Um, I think that, that if they keep doing that, I do think it's going to die. Um, um, I think it eventually has to leave those people behind and start and keep and, and have new people, um, um, just like ne- Next Generation did with Star Trek. Um, um, and uh, so, yeah. Yeah, well, they're doing, they're doing something that's going to be a TV show. Um, that's a spinoff from the series that John Favreau is directing. I heard about that. Do you know anything about it? All I, the only thing I know is that they they say it's like not none of the character it's not going to be about any of the main characters, but it's set in the same universe, so that makes sense. And you know, there's all those you know, there's all these other properties related to Star Wars. There was this whole book series, and then there was cartoons and stuff um, that all play on the. And some of those were very universe. successful. I mean, the the the, the Clone War cartoon. Was not only successful, but I think critically well received. Yeah, right? I've never actually seen that, but I've I've heard good things about it, and people said it was it was worth watching. Um, yeah, so there's, there's a lot they could do with this with this property that's not just like R two D two the early years. C three PO, where did he really come from, and why is he called three PO? Like... <laughs> um, do you have anything, anything else you want to say about Star Wars before we wrap it up? No, I'm good. That's uh, I said what I wanted to say, and um, um, I'm, uh, and I, I think people are probably a little, if they care, are a little surprised at my attitude about it. Um, um, but um, I did not like it the first time, Last Jedi, and then the second time I watched, it, I said, you know what? 
this is not being made for me. I need to look at it a different way. And then after I did, I, I did like it. Um, yeah. Like, so. Um, okay. So Dan, I think people know that you host the Sophia show on blogging heads and you also edit, um, the electric Agora. That's, That's right. right. Um, and people can check that out. Um, so thanks for coming on. And, um, it, have they announced the next star Wars movie? They must've said like, it's, I don't you know what I don't know um um but um when they do when it comes out we'll have to talk about it <laughs> we can read that. Um, um something else I wouldn't mind talking to you with you about sometime that you mentioned Marvel comics um is the relatively uh poor fortunes of Marvel comics and the incredibly great fortunes of Marvel comic movies yeah. and the reason for that which might get us into this issue of politics and social justice and current values versus old values and and all that sort of thing so maybe we could talk about that some other time okay yeah that is interesting um i've thought about that too how the um you know these these intellectual properties are like the you know the blockbusters of our era but um i don't think you know i was a comic book fan back in the day and it's not like there's a comic book store on every corner now like it's still like the original material is still a pretty niche niche thing for uh nerdy teenagers and (laughs) and nerdy adults. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that is, that is interesting, but we'll save that. We'll save that for another time. Um, so so thank you, Dan. Thank you to all of our viewers and listeners and we'll see you again next time. Talk to you soon. Before you go, a quick message from the suits of blogging heads TV. Blogging heads will always be free for you to watch and listen to. And we don't even go the NPR route of guilting you into donating during pledge week, but we do have a small request. If you enjoy Blogging Heads programming, rate and review us on iTunes. The iTunes algorithm weighs positive reviews heavily, so taking a few minutes to rate and review us will help more people find out about our shows. Also, of course, we encourage you to subscribe to our Twitter and Facebook feeds. Thank you.